three, two, one. Welcome to the David the Dog Trainer Podcast, episode ninety-eight. Today we're joined by Blake Rodriguez of Dream Come True Canine. Let's recording in get progress. On. You. Hey, man. What's up, brother? Oh, nothing. I was waiting for Lindsay Rodriguez to come on. That's the name that pops up here. <laughs> I'll switch it in a sec. Give me a, give oh, me a it's, moment. It's fine. <laughs> no, you... I'm glad we're finally able to make this work, man. Yeah, dude, 100%. I apologize uh, on my behalf for not being able to make it happen sooner. Oh, it's it's uh, it's no sweat. I know you're a busy guy, so I can't imagine uh, the travel back and forth between New York and Florida. You've been doing so much. It's actually not terrible. Yeah. How far of a drive is that? Like 14, 16 hours? It's like 18. But with with the dogs and stuff, it ends up being it ends up being like a 24 hour thing. Yeah. There's like you're stopping, you're taking your time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. Uh, this is Josh. This uh, this is my podcast buddy here what's up brother how are you good yourself <laughs> well yeah like not i said bad, i'm happy to happy to have you on finally uh excited we were able to make this happen so uh obviously i've uh known you for for quite a while now you're one of i remember when i first started my first company heights you were one of the first people i reached out to and did i remember a virtual consult with and um you know, you've been that's uh, wild. You've been a you've been a real leader of the dog industry for a while now. So it's cool to see you know your evolution uh, throughout things, and I'm I'm really excited to talk uh, about just kind of how things have been going with you with the new stuff going on in Florida, everything because obviously um, you've had so much change between uh, you know then and now. So, <clears throat> um, so you know, obviously, so what what part of Florida are you in right now? Oh, we got the Modellos out. I should, <laughs> yeah, I got to bust it out, man. It's been a long day. Um, just put my daughter to sleep. I'm good. I'm in Delray Beach, Florida. So Delray Beach is like um, about 50 minutes from Miami. So we're north of Miami. I'm yeah. I'm right near Boca. Nice. Very cool. Uh, it seems like everybody in the dog training world is moving to the Florida area right now. We've done a, a bunch of podcasts with people down in the area. Um, how, you So you like it down there, I'm assuming? I love it, man. You know, you have uh, you have good weather all the time, so there's there's really not much to complain about. The, the thing that gets a little tough sometimes is uh, maybe not so much with a dog that's gun ho and is maybe like your dog, but with like pet dogs being outside and like yeah, brutal temperatures and trying to motivate them and get them eager to love you when it's like cold and you're like, hey, we got to get outside. It's not it's not always the best combination, you know? Yeah, for sure. That's uh, that's wild to think about. I I know my uh, like my Malinois, my Shepherd when I had him. They were so like you could put them out in any temperature and they just like had zero fucks given. Uh, it was just yeah. it was just like whatever to them. But my pities, man, they are such princesses about that kind of stuff. If the temperature like goes above seventy five or under like fifty, it's like they want nothing to do with it. <clears throat> it's wild. Um, so I my my shepherd actually just passed in March. He was fifteen and he was a dog that like my understanding of a lot of other dogs were like. Oh, like suck it up. This dog doesn't need a coat. This dog doesn't need that. Like yeah. my dog is good in the summertime. He's good in the winter. Like, why are people babying their dogs? And now I have this mastiff like pit bull mix. And he's a tough dog in some regards, in some aspects. But when it comes to like cold weather, he's terrible. 
Yeah. He's terrible. Like <laughs> if it gets under 50, like here in Florida, I might have to put a coat on him. It's, it's really bad or you got to keep him moving, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. That's hilarious. Um, what, what brought you down to the Florida area in the first place? Were you just looking for like a change from the city or? No, man, you know what it was? Uh, I, I'm trying to think of how, oh, I, I, I remember now I had a client in Jersey. Yeah. And uh, it turns out that that client that I worked for and did some really good stuff with their dog had a place here in Delray Beach also. So he was like, hey, listen, you know, uh, I really love what you did. We're going to be down here. We have a everything is great, but there are some things that we want to work on. Could we fly you down and uh, just just help us figure out how to how to make it work here, Mm -hmm. here, like the differences. And like for us, a lot of those differences were were not anything major, but for them, there were some environmental changes. So I was like, yeah, I'd love to. And I totally fell in love with the area and the area was kind of untapped, if you will, but truth be told, doesn't matter. Like there could be a dog trainer across the street from me. I'm I'm still going to make it work. There's a a Dwayne Reed and a CVS, like right across from each other. They still find a way to make it work. But um, (laughs) this really seemed untapped. And I was like, you know what? I love the area. There's also big money in the area. If you look off of A1A and like the ocean, some of these houses, man, like you and I would be happy living in the pool house together. Yeah. And like, like the pool house is bigger than like, yeah. <laughs> is bigger than in my apartment in New York city, you know? So, um, so I fell in love with it and there were a lot of snowbirds and a lot of people that were from New York in the area. So the vibe was still the same. And I was like, I think I can make this work. And then COVID hit. Yeah. And just before COVID hit, we had purchased a place here and it just worked out that when it hit and we had to lock down and we had to close up temporarily in New York before we can open, we were in the, we were here. And I was like, you know what? We need to stay here. It doesn't make sense to go back to New York. Things are crazy. Yeah. And it, it just, it made sense that when everything locked down, I was like, you know what? I can make this work. Like I can turn a garage into, this is my garage right now. I can turn it into a place where I can record where I can train. And, and I, I think, I think this is a, a place we can be where it works for the family. So the priority was really the family, the kids having space where you're not living in a, a box where someone lives above you, beneath you, to the left of you, to the right of you. And you're trying to make it, you know, work with dogs and stuff. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So you brought up one of the, one of the things I had on the list I wanted to talk about anyways, obviously. So city versus suburb training. I mean, I'm assuming you're kind of in a more suburban area where you're at now, and there's a ton of environmental differences past just weather changes and all of that. What are some of the biggest differences as far as like needs of clients and like how you've needed to address that stuff you've seen? The, the needs are pretty much the same. The, the approach I feel like here allows me to take more of a scenic route and take more time than I may be able to, or the client may be able to in New York city, New York city's, um, there's some pros and cons, right? If you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. And I think that applies for the dogs as well, but sometimes it greatly benefits us to be able to take our time with a dog that might be building a relationship with the dog that might be, helping them experience like mini successes for things that are less challenging what, than what they actually struggle with. Whereas in New York city, sometimes you got to throw them into the ring and you got to make it work. And it's like, bro, I know we haven't practiced as much, but this is, there's no other way about it. And sometimes you speed things up and you get it done, but it can hurt you in other ways as well. So um, I, I think just being able to enjoy taking my time a little bit more with these dogs has, has been a lot of fun for me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, um, 
you know, from the standpoint of like, you know, working at the facility back in New York. So do you pretty much have things there in a place where they don't need that much support from you where you kind of just come in and check in or what's kind of your role up there right now? I'm always, I'm always trying to perfect that to be honest. Yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the team that you have. Yeah. COVID sort of messed things up a little bit too, where like after COVID, like people were like, Oh my gosh, like I'm working five days and, and five days is too overwhelming. And I'm like, wait, what? Like you get, you get <laughs> days off. Like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like you're working, you're playing with dogs like all day. Yeah. Um, and like some people didn't want to work. And then some people were like, I'm going to end up doing my own thing. And it was like, holy cow, for a while it was fine. It was hard to find a good group. Right now we have a fantastic group. And one of the biggest things about, about the group and what makes it fantastic is not necessarily their skill set, which all of them skill-wise are just improving, getting better and better every day. So I'm definitely not knocking their skill set, but it's more their their outlook and their energy and like like it's almost sounds cheesy, but like the positivity, like they're coming in, 100%. they're happy and, and they and they give a shit about the dogs and they're willing to work and they're willing to do this stuff. And it's like the team chemistry amongst them is like great. All it really takes is like one bad egg, man one like negative Nancy and like from there it, it, it snowballs. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, right now we just, we have a good group and that makes it easier for me to practice some things while I'm here. I have someone that I train with who's like a, like a training partner, associate of mine. We train some dogs, experiment, do some things. I get to do what I love, which is I'm really good at working with dogs and working with the individual working with the client with that handler with that pet dog owner um i kind of things grew and before you knew it i'm managing employees and i'm figuring this out and it's all these things that took me away from what i was good at and it's cool because I, I take on the challenge I, I bring it on and everything is fantastic but but it took me away from what i also enjoy so i think the cool thing now is with the team that um is everything I just described. It allows me to comfortably be here, check in with them. We use an app called Slack, yeah. see where they are with the board and trains, with this, with that, answer any questions that they have, still be involved, and then come back every six or seven weeks and be with them for two to three. And then actually like be motivated to like work with them, see the dogs that they have, figure out, you know, what needs to be tweaked bring back some things that I've learned. And, and that's, that's kind of how it's working right now. So it is sustaining itself, but we have like a really good admin. We have a really good manager. We have really good head trainers, like handlers and stuff. So that's, they're the ones that really allow me to do this and make me being here. And also Lindsay being here far less stressed because with a team that is not as good as they are, it's, mm -hmm. it's not as fun being over here. So, um, so yeah, right now it's sustaining itself, but it's sustaining itself because I can be away and practice and yeah. go to them. And, and right, right now it's working beautifully. That's awesome. Yeah. It seemed like, you know, ever since you started posting a lot of the like Florida stuff and you're getting a lot of dogs down there and stuff, it seemed almost like that's been like the hard reset for you just from the outside looking in to like kind of get back to the roots of things, which is like, you're just training dogs. You're at your house, right? They're a part of your family and, and all that. And God, I mean, I, I could totally empathize with the, the standpoint of things where how things just like kind of snowball and evolve. And suddenly it's like, you have this facility and you have all these responsibilities past training dogs. And it's like, by the time you get to actually go in and train the dogs, you're so tired from all the other things. It's like, are you giving your best work? And um, dude, I, I could totally feel that. I mean, we have anywhere from like 12 to 14 employees at a time and it's, 
I, I find myself, you know, every couple months needing to give myself that little check of like, let's, you know, take a step back from this area and focus on this area a little bit um, to kind of keep yourself motivated and sharp with stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because there's, there's motivation and you want to be motivated. Yeah. Right. Here's the reality. Like we're not always going to be motivated. Sure. So we need to be consistent. Yeah. You know, like not always going to be motivated. So you have to be disciplined mm-hmm. and I, I'll work. Like there, there's very few people that will do what you and I are capable of doing. Like it, it's a grind that no one would really understand, but as much as possible, if you can make that discipline also yeah. fun where you can be motivated, that's everything. And I, I think being able to be in Florida uh, and and dabble and experiment and get hands-on and practice how I break things down and how I articulate material down to owners, especially stuff that I'm doing maybe differently or tweaking or doing things uh, a little bit newer than I may have in the past, like being able to have that work with the system that I had before and, and go, okay, now that I'm doing this new stuff, how do I, how do I break it down in a way that's easy and digestible for people? And, and it, it has me motivated again, you know, so I'm happy about that. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, how much of the move down to Florida and all this change had to do with, so you have two kids now, obviously, didn't that kind of time out around the same time you moved down there? Um, yeah, I mean, everything was for the family, you know what I mean? Uh, you you have to prioritize them in in a weird way. You prioritize the business because the business is the family, but you have to do it in a way where everyone's happy, happy wife, happy life, happy kids, everything. So how do you make it work? How do you find a way to be super dad? Um, so that the kids can grow, they have the space, they're doing everything. I can be involved. I can be with them, but I can, I can still work. And, um, and Florida is what made that work. And it's really interesting because a lot of times people ask me, well, are you going to get a facility here? And how are you going to do it here in Florida? Right now, I have no desire to open up another facility here, but I don't know what that's going to be like when my kids are in school. Like I have a one-year-old son. I have a three-year-old daughter. They're both at home right now. You know, eventually they'll be at school and I'll have all of this extra time that I don't have right now because it's a grind, man. Like, you know, I'm very scheduled. My kids... I told you this, this is why we're doing this at, at 18 PM at night. Yeah, yeah. Um, my son is in bed by seven. My daughter's in bed by eight. They're up by six 30. You know, I, my first session with the dogs are like at six 30 in the morning. So like you're doing that, like I'm grinding outside of being with kids and being with dogs during their nap time, which is 1230 to like two 30. And then when they go to bed. So, um, yeah, man, everything, everything here has worked out time-wise, but all decisions that we've made have been really, really for the family, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, so, so a couple of the big things I wanted to talk about from like a training standpoint, just, I'm kind of like going down the list here. One of them in particular was talking about like dogs and children and stuff like that. You know, as as trainers, obviously one of the big things I feel like we get asked a lot is, you know, when people are expecting children or, or bringing a new dog into a house where there's existing children and stuff like that. And a colleague of mine up in Canada one time said something. So she had a kid and she made a post one time discussing, you know, until you have a kid yourself, you know, as a trainer, you know, you start looking at all those things that used to coach your clients on, like, you should do this or you shouldn't do this. And not that any of it is inaccurate by any means or wrong, but it's like, 
it all, like once you're thrown into that boat, you start realizing how certain things you may coach are kind of unrealistic yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And obviously your first hand, right? You got two kids, you're running a training center basically out of your house with children, right? Uh, I'm really curious to get into the conversation of like dogs and babies or dogs and young children and see what you thought it was going to be like going into it and what it actually kind of wound up being. Yeah, it's that's a, that's a great question. Um, it's a bit of a, a loaded one in regards yeah. to the answer, but I, I think um, definitely eye opening. You know, like you you look at some things and you go, "Oh wow, okay." Like this is the time where you have time. This is the time where, like, when this kid is like really active, like they're they're incapable of like understanding like certain limits. So you have to really manage. And I, I think the the balance what I've been trying to do more is just understand that management is a necessity yeah. regardless of whether, whether it's an extreme dog or, or a simple dog, but like you have to manage. But the trick that I've been trying to dabble with is especially for owners is how do you, how do you practice safe management mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't stagnate or, or plateau the training? So it's like, listen, yeah, yeah, you do have to manage. Your dog has to be put yeah, away yeah. at times. You know, you have to be doing this. But at the same time, I want you to still be training so that we can help change how the dog feels emotionally. Like yeah. work toward your management, maybe. You'll always be managing, but managing a well-oiled machine is a, is a hell of a lot easier than managing like a problem business or a problem yeah. dog or something like that. So how do we get you to a place where you're managing something that is like, smooth and your dog is still progressing instead of just staying stuck yeah. so i think that's probably probably been the, the biggest thing in regards to um just being wise with how you include dogs and babies in the mix together and then also knowing the age like my daughter right now is just she's just great with dogs and like she understands that you know we get dogs and she's like well can i like play with him right now or can I pet him not yet baby we're working on that she's like well is is this dog ready right now oh the dog's not ready okay well let me know and I'm like hey Shay this is what we're going to be doing right now like you can be included this way and like she's got it down like in the backyard you're going to be here but you're not going to be moving moving or running around yet and like she's she's good she helps me with prepping the the, the food for dogs she's understanding like certain games that we're going to play hey like you're going to get to throw the ball for this dog or you're gonna get to do this thing but this is how so it's it's cool. The one thing that has been a hell of a lot easier than I thought it would be is actually training the kids. I yeah. thought that that would be much more difficult. Sure. And truth be told, man, just, just living it and, and, and being consistent, the kids pick up. Like I haven't really, I haven't needed to train the kids outside of just living and doing it, doing what needs to be done. I, I'm trying to find the, the, the way to really word that, but... Um, yeah, I mean, they're like reflections of the things we do, right? Like, they emulate what they see. So it's like, if we're yeah, showing them this is the way we treat dogs, this is the way we interact with dogs and stuff, obviously there's going to be training and guidance and stuff like that that goes into it, but you're not fighting this uphill battle of if you're living an unhealthy relationship with your dog, then you're telling the kids to do something totally different than what you're doing, yeah. you know? And exactly, and it's, it's awesome because, like, people are like, oh my gosh, like... You know, you're, they even say this about my son and my son, his level, he's one. So his level of comprehension is not there, but like, wow, they're so good with the dogs. And it's just sure. a matter of just, this is the way it needs to be. And the yeah. kids pick up on it. Like my daughter's three and I don't know, man, like 
watch her and how she is with dogs. And like, that can be the example for the average kid on the street that we're worried about how they're interacting with, yeah. with other dogs. And it's all by her just observing. Yeah. It, it's so interesting. It's like, you know, and then you look at the, the other side of things, which is like, how much of that is just because we're professionals that understand how things learn. Like I remember when Tyler had his first kid, him and I were talking, I think it was in Buffalo and he was talking about, <laughs> I was like, yeah, so, so what, you know, what's it like? Is it the same as you thought it was going to be? Is it different than you thought it was going to be? And he's like, you know, it's kind of fun. Like I'll like find myself training the kid and like breaking down in my head, like what quadrants I'm using and this and that. Cause that's the way Tyler fucking does things. Right. <laughs> but, it's like, <laughs> but you know, he's, he's talking about things that way. And it's like, no different than, you know, I'll look at sometimes or, or we'll look at an owner that's struggling with something with their dog. And in the back of our mind, we're kind of like, oh, we'll just like, don't let him do that. But it's easier said than done. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's, it's just an, it's an interesting conversation. And so many of those things you mentioned are, are um, just good, fascinating, like talking points, I feel like. Yeah. I've really been focusing a lot on um, the emotional feeling of the dog like how the dog feels about situations yeah really really changes a lot of their behavior and just just considering that like emotional response brings involuntary uh, emotional feeling brings on involuntary response so it's like how do how do we go about changing how the dog feels about like even if there's a gate up between like a baby and a kid uh, like a dog feeling better when the baby's around or when the, when the kid is out and stuff like that. I, I've been yeah. really um, focusing a lot about that in, in general, not just with kids, but especially with kids changing how the dog feels about a situation, um, which takes time, but yeah. like long-term it, it, it can kind of get you out of sticky situations when a dog's behaving really inappropriate. Yeah. And it was really because like they, they feel crappy about this whole thing. So how do we change that? Yeah. You know, does that have to do with the, the whole windows concept that you and like J Jack and stuff have been delving into? Windows is definitely a piece of the puzzle. I, I mean, that's more, I'm not super oh, familiar yeah. with the windows side of things. So, Oh, I, I absolutely. I have yeah. a course on it on consider the dog and everything. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's great. I, I love the windows. I, I think when you look at windows, it's, um, it's, a nice way to balance or be considerate of a way to fulfill a dog mm -hmm. and, and be considerate of their needs while also being considerate of like management that is needed and, and teaching a dog context, just like you have to teach a kid context, context, you know, playing, there's nothing wrong with playing tag. Unfortunately, you can't play tag at dinner time. <laughs> Unfortunately, you can't play tag when we're watching a movie. So being able to communicate that to a child is one thing. But what about being able to communicate that to a dog that doesn't speak English or Spanish or whatever the language is that you're speaking? How can you get them to understand um, contextually appropriate behavior? And that's what Windows does. And in regards to uh, emotional response, it's it's really just association. Mm -hmm. uh, we see things like this with poor communication all the time. So you look at uh, what started with good intentions a dog sees, I got to fix, give me one second, hold that thought. I want to fix this camera and why it keeps timing out on me. Apologize. Oh, you're fine. Technical difficulties yeah. are a way of our life here. Mm -mm. Yes. Always technical difficulties. And I'll send this stuff to you guys too. I have two cameras going right now. So pretty sweet. Oh, sweet. Um, but um, how do we, everything's association. So you end up with a dog, for example, that um, initially was reactive toward another dog. When you're on a walk, he sees another dog, 
he's reacting. So now as a handler, we're looking to fix that situation. You tried rewarding the dog, but the dog is not interested in rewards. So you correct the dog. And at some point the correction stops the behavior. Mm -hmm. But then the mistake that I've made, and I see a lot of people making, um, is we're striving for perfection. Yeah. So the next time around, you end up with a dog that is not full out lunging the way that he was as a result of whatever, however you chose to correct, but he's not perfect. He's mm -hmm. he or she's still getting worked up. They're still feeling crappy about the situation. So because it's not the way that we envisioned it, we correct again, or we interrupt or we do whatever something. And what starts to happen if the communication is poor is you end up with a dog that goes, there's no way to win. Yeah. Mm. So when I see this dog, I, I'm not really certain why I'm feeling this leash pop or this remote or whatever it is. All I know is that I feel this when I see you. It must be because of you. Yeah. So now the correction that is the thing that's needed yeah. at some point is the thing that's making the dog feel crappy about being outside when they see other dogs. So there's no way for the dog to be successful. And I think a lot of that has to do with us being wise about what we choose to catch and where we choose to reinforce and help. And I yeah. think um, raising a kid and not do, not being too strict too soon <laughs> with certain yeah, things, yeah. being in martial arts and not, uh, and seeing how like a black belt will, will say, Hey, great job to a white belt. That is, that does an arm bar. And then all of a sudden the Brown belt does an arm bar way better than the white belt. And they're, they're like, no, 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 fix this, fix this, fix this. And they have all these details. And it's like, why were you so detailed with that person who has a better arm bar than me as a white belt? And you said, good job for me. And a lot of it is just really understanding how to help the dog feel successful and help the dog win. Yeah. So I, I think uh, like the association that the dog has, it's easier if you're not too strict too soon. Yeah. So it helps the dog understand like, this is happening as a result of my behavior, not because when I see a dog, I'm going to get corrected and, yeah. and changing how a dog feels emotionally about a situation is, and, and what that represents and what, what association they have is, is something that I didn't spend much time on in the past. And yeah. it's something that I, I really, really, um, if anything, prioritize a little bit more than, than I used to. Yeah. There, <laughs> there's so much to unpack with all of that, that you just said right there. Cause I feel like that goes hand in hand with like, when you mentioned the, you know, we'll correct for the response initially, but then the second time, because we're chasing the perfection, we correct again. And then, you know, the, the, there's no way to escape this kind of mentality. You know, that it's something I've kind of been looking at over the last few years in my training, especially because reactivity, obviously I feel like is the number one thing we just see all over the place. This, there's this way to stop it. There's this way to stop it, et cetera, et cetera. And I struggle so much with when I see a lot of different trainers or, or, or whatever, um, discussing stuff like, um, correcting the loading sequence all the time and things like double downs and all that. And again, not that I think anybody's terrible for using any of those things, but it feels like we're falling into that trap of chasing the perfection with the correction as opposed yeah. to using almost, you know, the, the correction to bring the behavior down to a manageable place to then change the feeling of things, which is where the yeah. force-free community hates us is because we don't talk about that side of things enough is, yeah. you know, we're just suppressing behavior, which we are, but we're suppressing it to give us our, a better shot to then do the things that they want us to do ultimately, you know? 100%. Yeah, like you, sometimes sometimes you got to put out a little bit of the fire yeah. before you can kind of build 
on that ground. And I, I feel um, it's, it's, it's a balance and everything that you're doing is just understanding where that, that line is because that balance will vary from dog to dog. Yeah. You know what I mean? And sometimes there's some things that I'm like, man, I'm we're, like, because our relationship sucks. I'm not even going to address this because I know what it's going to, how you're going to interpret this. So right now we're going to avoid this situation. And I think that's one thing that Florida has allowed me to do is that I can take more time yeah. than I may have been able to in the past where as sometimes like in New York city, you don't always have that option. So you have to be very, very smart with how you, how you maneuver. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, uh, are you on TikTok much? You know what? I was, I had started TikTok. The answer is no. <laughs> I, I, I have it. Uh, I, I, I probably should be on it more. I'm on Instagram yeah. more than anything else. I post <laughs> seldomly on Facebook because uh, obviously it's, a, it's an older platform. Yeah, it's really Instagram and Consider the Dog that I'm on mostly. I should, I should do more on TikTok. It's just, uh, it's. I hate doing stuff that I can't give a hundred percent to. Mm-hmm. And right now I wouldn't be able to do that. And I don't want to half-ass something, but I do have a TikTok page. Yeah. I started it so long yeah, ago, yeah. so early ago, and then I'm, I'm doing nothing with it. Yeah. It's, it's such a, we're, we also kind of, you know, we just had a, like a media meeting the other day with a team talking about how we want to start prioritizing that platform more. Cause we've had it for a couple of years, but like we've had minimal growth. I mean, we had like maybe like 5,000 followers or something for as long as we've been mm-hmm. on it. And, uh, I think a lot of my hesitancy on it has just been, and this is funny because a lot of our last couple um, podcast guests we've had on have been like these mega TikTok stars, right? These like 2 million mm-hmm. subs, this, that. And the the consistent thing that they all hit us with is just how freaking brutal of a platform it is, right? But the reason why I tie that in is because, you know, just in, you know, even with the small following we have, you know, anything we post is just, I mean, it's like a war zone as far as people coming on and commenting just, you know, critiquing the absolute living fuck out of anything you post, basically, right? <laughs> and and ninety percent of it is coming from you know, glor- I feel like glorified like internet trolls. But there is the ten percent of it that's coming from these trainers that I know rightfully want to do good. You know, they care about the dogs, and I try to look at it from a positive light and take all the criticism as you know, a grain of salt. But like, let's look at this and see how much validity there is to it. And as we've been on it, it has been interesting how it's kind of opened my eyes to looking at different things. Um, from the standpoint of what you're talking about, like even things like emotional responses to things uh, and caring about how the dog feels about situations. And, you know, from my background as like a sport dog trainer, when I first started and things like everything is so binary in that world, right? Like you create your motivation and then you teach these behaviors and you correct these unwanted behaviors. And it's kind of like everything just fits together like this per- perfect puzzle without caring too much about that side of things. And I, I saw somebody post somewhat recently, I think they commented on something of ours, and I went on their page, I'm looking at their channel, and they were talking about, back to the conversation of like suppressing behaviors, this person is like, yeah, I don't have a problem with using corrections, but it's like, you know, we look at, we stop an unwanted behavior and we suppress it, and it's like, yeah, that could be a better response from the standpoint of management purposes, but like suppressed behavior versus uh, outward display of unwanted behavior, Basically, what they were trying to say is that they're like the same thing, right? And you could use it again to gain yourself the leverage to work through the problem, but a suppressed behavior without the change of emotional response is basically the same thing in the dog's mind as the outward display of it. If that makes sense, what I'm getting at. I'm kind of rambling here right now. It's interesting. <clears throat> so again, well, you know, go ahead. Yeah. No, 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 no. Continue, continue. Well, no, I was just, you know, 
I, I try to look at these things because, again, you know, our biggest critiques that we get as balanced trainers, I would say, is like when we're punishing an unwanted behavior, right, or we're stopping an unwanted behavior or something like that, um, that there's, you know, again, you're, you're just suppressing the behavior, right? And we're not focused on that, that outward display. So it's like as we're posting stuff on these different platforms, do we want to start moving in that direction of highlight? You know, we, we highlight the quick stop from the standpoint of I feel like to give people hope in situations, right? So like when a client looks and sees a before and after video, even if the process isn't complete yet, hey, this dog that was being really reactive or this dog that was being aggressive towards people or resource guarding these things or whatever it may be, there, you know, we're able to get some some serious headway with that behavior, where you could actually see it right in front of your face. But the actual long term solution is going to take much longer. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. No, I totally get that. I, I think another thing for people to, especially the internet and and people that actually care, is really considering. Try to word this properly. Yeah considering what can fall under the category of the word correction. Sure. Um, because in, technically correction means to fix, mm -hmm. right? In order to fix something, you have to address something, <clears throat> but how you choose to address something is like, you can correct things in a number of ways. So sure. for the most part, when people think of correction, they think of using an aversive, obviously something that is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, and in some situations, I, I think it really, really matters how we use that aversive and what our intention is for after we use it. And this is another thing that I've been focusing a little bit more on, which I think gives us an opportunity to be a little bit more fair to a dog, depending on where they are in the stage or phase of their training. Sure. Um, so I want to correct a dog, but I want to correct a dog how if, <clears throat> and I think of it this way. So I can use an aversive to reinforce a behavior, mm -hmm. AKA get more sure. of a behavior. I can use an aversive to get less of a behavior, punish, right? Mm -hmm. um, what I've been dabbling more with is accepting the dog's adjustment in earlier stages of training, mm -hmm. which I don't wanna get too technical here, but if we're looking at it, in theory, it's a form of negative reinforcement. Sure. Right. So my dog is doing something inappropriate. I let's say I pop with the leash or remote or whatever. I add something that the dog deems uncomfortable. And as a result, they adjust to an alternative behavior that I'm happy with. Yeah. Mm. In theory, that's negative reinforcement. Yeah. Right. Like I've added and as a result, I've removed what is going to be a cycle of me giving you an opportunity to make a choice. Let's say, for example, um, trying to think in my mind, visualizing, um, I'm messing around with a dog and it could be treats. It could be a toy. It could be a ball. It could be tug. And now the dog loves this game. And I end up asking the dog to place. And for whatever reason, the dog's obsessed with a toy and doesn't go. So now I add a leash pop and let's say the dog does not go to place. Mm-hmm. I say, nope, which is like, Ron, we're going to try this again. Yeah. But I'm going to give you the opportunity to be successful without my help. Mm. Now, my help is something that should help, but is also something that the dog should actively seek to avoid. Yeah. And if my help mm -hmm. is too pleasant, yeah. 
dog is always going to seek it. So I have to make that help unpleasant. Mm -hmm. So dog doesn't do it after the pot. I say, nope, I'm going to come around to asking them again, the command place. I'm going to wait before the leash pop before Mm -hmm. my help, because I want them to be able to be successful. And if I say place, and then they go fantastic. I can throw that ball again, or the game can can turn on again, or can they can get the food, whatever it is. Or I say place, the dog doesn't do it. I pop again, and then they go, and the same reward turns on. I, in theory, am reinforcing the alternative behavior. So I'm happy with their adjustment. Sure. That would be the equivalent of uh, you're speeding on a highway. You're doing 165, and I'm a trooper. I pull up behind you. I throw my lights on. And once you see the lights in your rear rear view mirror, you slow down to 65. Mm -hmm. And I go, I'm I'm good with that. You didn't know what the speed limit was. I shut my lights off. I let you go. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to reinforce and teach you what the speed limit was, how to be successful, how to do the thing. So if I'm adding this aversive, I'm happy with your adjustment that you're making beautiful. In theory, I'm reinforcing an alternative behavior. I'm happy with your adjustment. Next day comes along, you're speeding again. I go, oh, geez, this guy's doing 100. I pull up behind you, throw my lights on. You slow down to 65. I shut them off and I go, all right, that's it. Once I've seen that you can be successful, Mm -hmm. once I've seen that you know what to do and I've spent time doing that, day three comes around. And this is not, doesn't have to be the third time. I'm just giving an example. This guy is still speeding. Now, when I pull up behind you, I throw my lights on and you slow down to 65. I don't care. I'm not interested. I'm no longer interested in your adjustment. So in order to punish this behavior, because I'm not interested in your adjustment. If I was interested in your adjustment, I'm interested in reinforcing an alternative behavior. At this point, you knew what the alternative behavior was. You've been successful doing it. Now I'm interested in punishing the actual um, uh, crime or whatever you want to call it. So I have to pull you over, essentially stopping progression. Yeah. And I'm going I'm to give another example for, for anybody that might be watching this. Um, I have to stop you. So when I get behind you and you slow down to 65, I got to do whatever is necessary to actually get the vehicle stopped. Mm-hmm. Because once I stop progression, a.k.a. the bad behavior, we're going to get to that in a second. Yeah. Now I'm going to have my punishment event with you. Mm-hmm. Punishment event could be whatever the dog deems uncomfortable. It could be painful. It could hurt. doesn't have to. It just has to be out of the dog's control because their adjustment doesn't get them out of the consequence. Yeah. That sort of makes sense? Yeah. No, yeah. no, so I 100% I, agree. Something, yeah. something I've been dabbling with a, a lot. Um, I want to make sure that by the time I'm correcting via punishing a dog, that I am aware that they knew what the right choice was to make. And now they realize that, hey, listen, if you lunge after somebody aggressively and I pop you with the leash or remote and you adjust and we keep walking, I'm not interested in you slowing down to 65. We've had that conversation. I've shown you what I expect. Now I'm going to punish you. So, man, after I shoot someone in the head, if you go blink or I punch your best friend in the face, (laughs) you go blink, sit down. Doesn't you're not really interested in the fact that I sat like yeah. I, if I know that that gets me out of a behavior, I can pop off. And then when you catch me, I go oh, and I adjust and we're gone. If it was that easy, then you're just nurturing compliance when caught. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I know I kind of went off uh, into a wormhole here, but that's something in regards to correction yeah. and we're talking about like, the, the internet world and reading that it's like they got to understand it's it's far deeper sure. and there's far more details than yeah. uh than what the surface or that yeah. little video that they're watching on tiktok <laughs> or instagram uh will show yeah yeah no i mean i i feel like you know what you're kind of describing correct me if i'm wrong is like we're, we're almost like kind of as far as looking for the effort right almost like free shaping with a negative reinforcement a little bit right kind of an example, I, I feel like that, that might be similar to that as far as if I'm training a dog, right? So like, let's say I'm trying to get a dog to get onto a place cot or something like that. And they're very resistant of getting onto it initially. And maybe my total goal is getting them all the way onto that place cot, but maybe initially I'll be using the negative reinforcement and the removal of pressure will come at successive approximation, right? Like incrementally mm. rewarding steps along the way, right? So moving towards it, getting one paw on it a couple times, getting two paws on it, and incrementally helping them through that negative reinforcement to get to where it is we want them to get to. So when I give mm -hmm. the big correction later on for them not getting onto it, we've kind of taught and established that routine a little bit more. Now, the, the one and this kind of, you know, segues into another topic here, but in, for your example with the lights, right, you know, using the lights in order to get the person to slow down, the lights get the person to slow down with the cop, right, and then ultimately pulling them over, for that to be true, wouldn't the lights turning on have to have an inherent um, aversive status to it already? Yeah, I mean, I think for humans, I use that analogy because, because we know what it means. Just the sight, just the sight of a, a trooper. Yeah. Like my wife, man, she sure. could be doing the speed limit could be sixty-five. Yeah, she yeah. could be doing sixty, and if she sees a trooper, she'll slow down. And it's like, <laughs> you, yeah. So it's like just seeing that. If you see that there's lights on behind you, it's yeah, like, yeah. It's like, oh my gosh. So there's a, definitely already an association. Yeah. Um. So I, I think for the example, it makes sense. But yeah. but definitely there would need to be some sort of an aversive or an interrupter anything yeah. that interrupts the the dog and like stops progression yeah so this, i think that's, that's the biggest thing yeah no that makes sense so that then segues to so obviously i, I think i saw you reposted the icp's uh post about you know e-collars towards uh whatever the international association of uh, i don't know there, there was some sort of back and forth going on between the icp and some sort of the the canine training um yep what what is the organization that they were sending that to? Do you remember? Oh man, I'm forgetting it now. I know it's, I'm, it's I'm the, blanking it's on the it. The other one, uh, yeah, it's more of the general. I can't even remember it. Yeah. yeah, whatever. Okay, so so one of the things. So I love the letter they wrote. One of my biggest things right now, though, is I feel like as we're trying to push to like quote unquote like decriminalize the e collar, like one of the biggest selling points we're trying to push is that it's not an aversive tool. Right. And all these examples we're describing, right? It has to have some sort of inherent aversiveness to it. And my fear is that as we move down that path of continuing to say it's not an aversive tool, it's not an aversive tool, it's not an aversive tool, if we get to a point of legislation of like, hey, we could use the e collars under the, the guise that it's not an aversive tool and this and that, that that could put us in more sticky ground later on. Yeah. Well, 100%. Uh, it, first off, it, it's an aversive tool. <laughs> like, like call, call, call a spade a yes. spade it's very it's very important to understand that but can you use it in a non-aversive manner like that's that's a whole other thing that defeats the purpose of yeah. like why you're why you would use, use it in the first place yeah if we want a yeah, cue like, we would just use a freaking sound box on the dog's neck or something like that 
And it's the same thing with a leash. Like, yeah. can you use it in a non-aversive manner? That's a that's a whole nother like discussion. But largely, we are trying to deter a dog from doing something when we're using a leash. And you could either just hold them back in a way where they don't care, yeah. and it's not aversive. But then you're just holding a dog back, and you're not really changing much. Or you can use it in a way where it is unpleasant. Like if you do, if I do something stupid, mm-hmm. and there's an unpleasant experience. <laughs> And you don't deprive me of learning from that consequence. Like, yeah, like that's, that's really important. You know what I mean? And you can reinforce a behavior. And this is the example that I always give with like the flame and like, and and the stove. If my daughter, I go, Hey, don't touch the, the flame on the stove. It's hot. I hope that she never touches the flame. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> But if the day comes where I go, hey, baby, don't touch that flame. Remember, it's hot. I'm going to the bathroom. I'll be right back. And as as I'm leaving, she's like, don't touch the flame. Let me check this out. <laughs> that flame better be hot and it better suck. Yeah. Because if it ends up being awesome, yeah. all it does is just nurture me being a liar. Yeah. And it doesn't reinforce her listening yeah. to me. Or if it's just if mildly say, hey, aversive in that moment, too. I think that's another really difficult part of this conversation is, like, we want to be fair about all this stuff, but so much of this push of, like, we pa- we pair it as positive, we pair it as positive, we pair it as positive, and then we need it to be an aversive later on. It's just, like, we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit, you know? Yeah, and then but you, it's end, a balance, up, then you, you know? end up getting so comfortable with the sensation. Like, yeah. there are very rare, there's, like, some rare situations where maybe you need a dog to feel like a super fearful shutdown dog sure. that's had an experience you need them to understand sure, how sure. they can control an aversive but for the most part like you're you're trying to make it something that they want to avoid yeah like that's that, that's that's the goal and if you're trying to make it or trying to spend time making it pleasant you're going to end up down the road trying to use it unpleasant the dog maybe won't have an issue with it and that's a problem yeah you know i gotta start this thing again i must this this camera that I barely use must have a twenty a minute shut off. So we yeah, ran into I, that I, same I boat. What it is. We ran into that yeah. same boat with ours. So if you're not using an actual cam, this is actually funny because we struggle with this for a long time. <laughs> yeah. If you're not using an actual camcorder, like the the cameras have like a certain record up to time that's like twenty three minutes or something. But we actually just bought like a brand new camcorder that will record a hundred percent through until the memory card is filled. So if you're looking to record that's, for long periods, that's you're what get... I have. I have a GH5, which is great. I have that on the slider. And then I have this other one, which is my brother's. It's an older model, yeah, yeah. a GH3. And it's just timing out. And it's like, come on. So there's got to be a feature. I got to YouTube it and, yeah. and my own problem later on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the, the question then is, right. So like, what is the balance of if our selling point is that it's it's an it's a, a quote unquote nice or non-aversive tool, how do we change this balance of the perception of why we use it obviously while still people while still not sugarcoating it um, so that we avoid some of those potential problems we could see, I feel like, by mismarketing it? Well, I mean, nature corrects. Yeah. Right? And nature's version of a correction is not going to be as considerate of us. So if we have, if we can replicate nature mm-hmm. in a, in a much more considerate or fair way, however you want to word that, like, why not? Yeah. Like, why not like do that? Because listen, man, if I don't replicate nature, when you're running across the street for that squirrel or mm-hmm. that tennis ball, guess what? The car ain't going to be forgiven yeah. or mm-hmm. forgiving. 
right? Mm -hmm. If I don't replicate nature with that rattlesnake or whatever, the rattlesnake venom ain't going to be forgiving, right? So it's like, I can, if I can get you to make better decisions in a way that is, that is more forgiving than that, but still get the message across, like, why wouldn't you want to replicate that? Because deprivation of the dog learning from that consequence is going to have us putting up with this situation until the dog passes away. So it's like, why not learn from the situation? So you actually stop doing it. So we don't have to put up with it. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Something as, as simple as like dealing with a dog that's running across the street for whatever it is that is a dangerous life or death situation. I have to, I have to put up with you doing that and say, this is how you are when really I can just have you learn from something that goes, Oh, maybe I don't want to do that. Oh, this is a better choice. And like, we can move on and like dogs are intelligent enough. Why deprive them of, of something they can learn from and move on? They're, they're intelligent. Why, why treat them dumber than they are? Like dogs are not dumb. Yeah. They're or smart. more fragile. Let than them learn. Are. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. That or, or, or treat them like they're significantly more fragile than they are. You know, I feel like sometimes we look at dogs like they're, they're literally made of glass. You know what I mean? Whether that's forget corrections from the standpoint of, you know, in yeah. collar or something like that. It's like just from like their emotional state, right? We hold them back from experiencing things that are natural that they may perceive as scary because we, we genuinely don't think that they're capable of withstanding that, you know, emotional pressure of thinking something Crazy. is scary, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Can you, like, the things that they would take in nature are far worse than, you know, a stimulation, you know, on their neck or anything like that. Like, yeah. when you were out, when they were out there in packs, like, in the wilderness, it was way worse. And now it's like, oh, no, they're our little babies. And, oh, they can't take that. And, yeah. and most of the time you learn and you move on. Yeah. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's not the end of the world. Like, you learn and you want to go, oh, like, maybe I don't want to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or, yeah. or they don't learn and they continue to do it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's make, make good things awesome, make inappropriate or bad things like suck, and dogs will do what works and what doesn't work largely. Yeah, exactly. I think, uh, you know, that, you know, obviously, like you were saying, you learn from it and you move on. I think what stops a lot of dogs from learning from it from like a, again, correction standpoint or implementing a, a aversive to stop a behavior, obviously, is there's a lot of emphasis on using corrections for obedience related purposes. Right. So, you know, down sits, place comes this, that and not a lot of emphasis on using it simply for an unwanted behavior with things. And I feel like you run a lot more of a risk of confusion when implementing it for obedience-related purposes, because I feel like in a lot of cases, that is a confusion problem, not necessarily a your dog is intentionally blowing you off problem, uh, as opposed to just stopping counter surfing, right? Or stopping (laughs) digging a hole in the backyard where they truly can just realize, oh, doing this thing is unpleasant, right? I think you have to be smart. The cool thing is that if you can be fair yeah. with obedience and how you teach it and knowing that a dog knows it and create a dog's eagerness and willingness and desire to want to do it because of the reward that it yields, yeah. um, then you can dabble with using an aversive for that in a fair way. And if you can be good with that, then all of a sudden using an aversive in any other manner mm-hmm. to teach any other rule, it should be easy. But it's just 
when you're when you're going strong into correcting a dog for not performing obedience that they were never really properly taught now yeah. now you're running into into problematic territory yeah mm. yeah I see, I see that a lot i would say with a lot of the you know the the balance trainers that aren't as keenly aware on like teaching and you know utilizing motivation and stuff like that for sure and and that that's where I would say I, I see the biggest issue with with a lot of the correction stuff where it's like God people are just correcting a dog for not getting on the place and it's like the dog is like running to them to try to avoid it because they think it's a come command and we're like they're blowing us off and that that's where yeah. I really see the most like unfair I would say uh, e collar use I feel like yeah it's it's uh, it's interesting but I think with today and everything that you you can learn from online or yeah. you can see from other people like that's there's pros and cons to all the information that's out there. You yeah. know what I mean? But you, it's all definitely out there. It's just a matter of, uh, of, of knowing what to believe and what not to believe and, and, and watching what works and what doesn't work. And as long as we're, we're showing the end results and, and people are able to see that, I, I think, I think humans are, are smart enough to make responsible decisions based off of what they're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's a hundred percent accurate. Um, so you dabbled into the Windows concept briefly where you discussed it's, you know, generally the idea of it is teaching a time and a place for things. Can you elaborate mm -hmm. a little bit more on that concept and what struck you about it the first time you started learning about it? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the biggest thing that we're always trying to do is we're trying to find a balance, right? How can you give the human what they want while also being considerate of what the dog needs. Mm -hmm. And I feel like sometimes, you know, clients will reach out to you and it's like, Hey, I'm looking for this, this, and this. And it's like, well, geez, like that's not fair to a dog at all. Sure. But I know that you do need these things. And I think the windows allows for that happy medium because it, it, it allows you to consider what a dog needs and and make sure you hit those things while also helping a dog to understand that like, Hey, we can't give these things to you 24 seven. Like we're in this human world and there, there's a time and place for it. So being able to communicate certain words, certain signals, you know, certain cues and, and, and essentially what they are are markers, having these markers um, resonate with a dog so that they can understand how to exist in the world and understand when it's time to play and be silly when it's time to do your own thing, because right now I'm busy and I'm on a zoom call, but yeah, you can play with that toy, but it's not really with me. Do your thing. Um, knowing when to engage with the dog and how to engage with the dog during their outlet in a way that gives them an opportunity to do dog things. So they, they feel fulfilled. So it's like the same thing for me. Like I can go to the gym, I can go to, you know, go to exercise. And then when I come back, I don't care what's on TV with my wife. Like I'll, I'll sit or you're watching housewives. Okay. Why is, why is Andy Cohen laughing at this girl or, 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 or why is this girl crying and why is she calling her a bitch? And I'll get into the show, but if I don't get my outlet and I don't exercise, I'll get irritable. And she knows she's like, babe, you got to go, go to jujitsu, like go, go do yeah. something because now I'm, I'm, I'm nitpicking. And I think the same thing is with a dog. So it's like, if a human can understand how to be considerate and give a dog what they need, it becomes a lot easier in exchange for, it to be realistic when we ask the dog to relax while we're at a cafe yeah. to hang out with us while we're on a zoom call to be like, Hey, mm -hmm. I'm going to have you hang out on place. Cause I'm going to be working with the baby or I'm going to be making dinner. And the dog has actually done something instead of their outlet being, you're just going to be on place or their outlet being, you're going to come to the cafe with us. And I expect you to just chill, but you haven't done shit in a long time. And it's like, I don't ever expect you to. So 
understanding how to cycle through windows is a nice way to, to just strike being considerate of both pet dog owner and pet. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, is it more of like a frame of reference for owners or is it something you're actually instructing the dog? For? And what I mean by that is, you know, a general rule I have for my dogs and I recommend for my clients to do with their dogs is like, Things like extremely rough play between multi-dog households or high-energy games like chasing a ball or really intense tug and stuff like that. You know, I always say play with those things outdoors with your dogs, and they could develop that association where in your backyard, for example, mm -hmm. you could kind of go buck wild and, you know, obviously with with parameters still, but you can kind of do what you want to do, burn off your energy, kind of go ham. But inside, the expectation is the things that we practice with them are going to be more calming things. The types of toys that I give them are going to be more solo, occupy yourself types of toys. You know, so I'm not necessarily teaching the dog something different aside from them to associate a place with a certain feeling, right? Um, or is it something you're actually going through the process? I think you mentioned like markers you're using to establish certain um certain windows so i mean it definitely makes sense what what you said about like <clears throat> exercise and the craziness and, and everything happening outside and and i don't have a problem necessarily if people want to bring that into their house but they got to be able to control it sure because if the dog mm -hmm. doesn't have a time and place then that becomes a problem but then there's also some times where like a dog man like maybe i do need to build something for you inside because you're you're really shut down and afraid and I'm going to build this love for this thing, whatever this thing is that eventually once you love it and you're motivated and it's a reinforcer and like, you really, really eager to do it. I'm going to start challenging you because you're only going to get that outside. So like there's, there's different variations, but in regards to windows, it, it's cool because so there's, there's four windows, mm -hmm. right. And, and truth be told, if you want your own window system and you want to have 10 windows, like who cares? Yeah. But really what you're doing is, your, and I learned this stuff from J Jack, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. a, awesome, awesome guy. Yep. Um, no ego there, like the dude's the man. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you have a play window, and there's a word that you want to be a signal versus a cue. Mm -hmm. I can get into that in a second. Um, the signal suggests that, like, yes, this is about to go down. So, yep. like, the word that I use for opening up play is ready. Yep. Now, prior. Um, when I say ready, basically what the play window is, is it means you and I are about to engage in something really fun together, some type of game, some type of outlet, some type of activity, like it's going to go down. It could be playing for food, playing for a toy, personal play, roughhousing. But when I say ready, like I'm coming alive and then I'm going to go get that toy. Yep. Then I'm going to go get your leash or whatever it is. So I want that signal to come before the cues that a dog picks up on. Yep. And like the cue could be some people after they watch their show go, oh, all right, let's go get you out. And like, just the, oh, the dog gets jazzed and, yeah. and God forbid you, oh, before you want to go grab a beer from the fridge, the dog <laughs> is going crazy. Or it could be turning yeah. a crinkling a bag of like treats and maybe the, you don't want the dog to get it, but that cue could be something that has a dog go crazy. So mm -hmm. I want to make sure the signal comes before the cue and the signal is the truth teller. Yeah. The cue is the liar. Mm -hmm. That signal is going to be that word ready because there might be a time where I pick up your toy. There might be a time where I grab your treats. There might be a time where 
I don't know, I, I make that sound or I put my shoes on, I put my hair in a pony or take my glasses off. And for some people taking their glasses off means they're going to play with a the dog. There may be a time that I do all of those things, but if I don't say ready, it doesn't mean shit. Yeah. So that mm. cue that you think is leading to this, nothing holds true unless I say ready. Mm-hmm. So ready opens up play and it means we're about to have at it. We're going to have some fun. Yeah. The second window, and that's an opportunistic window. So what that means is opportunistic is like, um, I will present the opportunity. And if you're not gun ho for it, like the opportunity could go away. Like, I'm not going to force it. Yeah. If you're not here for dinner, like I'm not going to force you to eat. It's like dinner, dinner's just gone. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So um, that the opportunity is there. If you don't take advantage of it as a dog, that's it. Yeah. The other opportunistic window is the, the okay window. The word that I have for okay is free. Mm-hmm. And who cares about the word? It could be okay. It could be whatever you want it to be. But okay is the find your own fun window. Mm-hmm. So if there's a toy, if there's a con, whatever, like entertain yourself, find your own fun. You can also use that on the walk. Yeah. If I'm walking you in let's go, which is the okay window, I'm sorry, which is the work window. Yeah. Work is essentially obedience. Sure. Obedience could be sit down, place, here, heal, let's go, whatever you want to call it. Um, we're largely teaching obedience in games that I'm playing with you. So we're largely teaching obedience in play. Yeah. Once you know these obedience commands and you're eager to do it and you have this association with it, I'll use that outside of the context of play in everyday real world situations. Yeah. But so we have the play window. Yep. We have the okay window. The play window, the word is ready. The okay window, the word is free. The work window is obedience that we largely teach in play and that we can use outside. And then lastly is enough. Mm-hmm. Enough means the game is over, but enough also is calm down, chill out. Yep. Now, work is inevitable. Remember, I said there were two opportunistic windows. There was play and okay were opportunistic, meaning I award you the opportunity. If you don't take advantage of it, it's gone. With the okay, when I say free, I can also use it on a walk. If I am have you walking in a let's go, which is almost like a loose heel, when yeah. I stop, I want you stopping. When I go, I want you moving with me. It's not the time for anything else. It's the time for you to pay attention to me. That's one thing. But if I say free, that's your time you can be up ahead. Yeah. That's your time to smell. That's your time if you want to run Zoomers, you want to chase squirrels, you know, whatever limits you want to put on free, you can. That's your time to like go be a dog. But when I put you in work heal, let's go, whatever it is, close, whatever you want to call it, now you're paying attention to me. Yeah. You can use that um, with a walk. You can use that with your backyard. You can use free kind of that way. Now, enough is the fourth window. Enough is just calm liberty. It means the game is over. It's time to chill. But more importantly, beyond it being operantly conditioned, mm-hmm. which means the dog is aware of the consequence, what it means, they know that. I want to create a classically conditioned um, involuntary response, the same way that crinkling a bag of treats creates a dog that starts to drool. Yeah. When I see enough, it is happening. So in the beginning, it's not a command. I'm not enough and barking at you. Enough is when I know that it's... Know that I can help to not give you affection, but like woosah you to the yeah. point where you were just on playing and enough and now you start to come down if i'm touching your face or whatever it is it's like oh so every time i say enough i help you feel yeah you know and does that this is what 
I'm assuming that kind of stemmed from like you know J Jack was very popular originally with a lot of condition relaxation stuff. Is enough very similar to what he used to do with that with the massage and stuff? Essentially, but then once it has that association, like you can see it like uh, on Consider the Dog, I have uh, the window series, yeah, and you can see a dog that's in the middle of like being jazzed up for the toy that I have, and then enough and sort of see them like, like sort of like melt good. Yeah. Enough, and I'll put the toy in the fridge. I don't put the toy away. Like the toy is there. Mm-hmm. You learn to just chill. If you go after it, like no, hey, uh-uh. yeah. enough. Uh-uh. And we really, really work on it being yeah. something that they know what it means. But then you got to take the extra time to have it be a feeling because you can have a dog down the road once it's like really known. See a squirrel and like hey, you can yeah. tell them let's go or heal or whatever, and you can get that too. But you can hey enough and have them like. Yeah, sort of like slow it down and sort of melt if you spend time on enough after your game, after your sessions. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how it works, and that's a that's a beautiful thing to like have sure. a dog. I know the connection was unstable there for a second. To have a dog that's jazzed in a house, you free him. Yeah, you just got here. Check it out. Hey, enough. Yeah. Chill, and they actually like you're calm. Like you can be in liberty. You can chill, but just tone it down, bud. Yeah. Now, the one thing I always struggled with, I remember when, because again, I'm equating this kind of like the condition relaxation, because I think you used to use easy for that, right? Easy kind of meant that like relaxed state of mind as well. Was it, it didn't feel like there was a lot of clarity as far as how we go about conditioning that in, right? So, so you say, obviously we want to create a classical conditioned association, right? That when we say enough, right? The dog actually relaxes, right? It's an involuntary like basically suppression in that kind of arousal. Um, how do we create that though? You know what I mean? Like, is that free shaped? Like, is that great question? <laughs> um, I call it, say it and make it. So okay. a lot of times we have the, as, as when I say we, I say like pet dog owners, we lack the ability to get it to happen. It's not much different than saying here. Sure. And then having the ability, like you have a leash, like you can get here. People like have the dog in the backyard here, here, here. Oh, he see, he doesn't listen. He doesn't come. And it's like, yeah, but you have no way to get it. So like, I want to train in a way where the dog wants to do what I'm asking of them. And I hope that they do what I'm asking of them, Mm -hmm. but also be prepared that, Hey, listen, man, if I ask this of you, and you don't offer it, I have the ability to get it in a relatively seamless manner. And it's not much different in regards to any anything that is inevitable. So yeah. th- that's that's why I said there were two opportunistic windows, sure. play and okay, which is like the opportunity is there. If you don't take advantage of it, it's gone. I'm not upset about it. But then inevitable is work. Like when I say sit, like yep. you're going to sit. And when I say down, you're going to down. When I say let's go, you're going to let's go. And I don't mean that in this hard way. Like. No. I just have the ability to say it and you don't offer it. I can seamlessly get it. Sure. Now, if I cannot seamlessly get it, that's a problem. I shouldn't be asking for something. I got, I got to work on that a little bit more outside of the context of expecting it and making it inevitable. Mm-hmm. The same thing applies for enough. Now, when we're looking at easy, the, the word or the sound that I use is, sh- yep. or sh- which is essentially stay in the window that you're in. Mm-hmm. But tone it down. So if you're in the play window and I use easy, that tone it down. So let's say I'm playing tug with a dog and we're intense. Yes. And dog is thrashing and going crazy. And now I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make that sound and then I'm going to make it so. 
-hmm. I'm going to like slow the game down. Mm. Good. Yep. Good. Yes. And then we're going to get intense and we're going to go into it. If I am on a slap mill with that dog, the dog is if I had to use a leash and slow down their movement, mm -hmm. good. I said it. They saw it. It like happened. They felt it. It is association. Yeah. And then by you can do, you can cycle through windows. Sure. You can either enough them or easy them and you can see them. And then you make that sound. And all of a sudden you hear, like, obviously if you, you know how loud a slap mill can yeah. be, mm -hmm. you can just hear hear and see the tone slowing down if i'm bike riding with a dog or rolling with them i'm going out full out going hard and then i shh, and then i slow it down so i make that sound i say it i make it so mm -hmm. if i say let's go like let's go i'm hoping you come otherwise i'm getting it to happen yeah. it's inevitable this is so my obedience mm -hmm. my inevitable markers or windows are should be almost a glimpse into the future for the dog of this is what's about to go down. So yeah. like you can do it or I'm going to get it. Yeah. Now that makes complete sense. And something, <clears throat> something I used to do that, that sounds similar and how I can kind of equate this in my head is, um, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with when Michael Ellis used to teach like engagement sessions, right? So an engagement mm -hmm. session in the way that we used to do them is we would have a cue or a signal, right, to begin the engagement session. We actually used ready for that also, right? So I would say ready, and Vinny, my Malinois, he'd come up and engage, like ready, because he knew in a second the game was going to start. And then I'd say yes, right, rewards or tug or whatever the hell it was we're going to do. And at the end of it, we would just say done, right? And as soon as we said done, tug went away, food went away, and... Um, the way that he used to teach them and the guys to train with Ramondi or used to teach is you totally ignore the dog for 10 minutes, right? At that point. Right. And it was wild after a week of just doing those engagement sessions. When I got him, you'd say done. And he would go from obviously this jacked up Malinois state of mind to completely turned off, like completely disengaged off doing whatever arousal level came completely down at that point. And it was kind of that condition association. Now, again, where I've struggled with it though, is then, you know, if we have these quote unquote expectations, right? I was looking at, you know, you're free and enough, right? Both of them, um, they're not opportunistic ones, right? or sorry, free is an opportunistic one. Enough is not an opportunistic one, right? Mm -hmm. Free would have technically no expectation at that moment, but enough would have an expectation. Is that correct? Kind well, of? it depends on how you condition free. Sure. So like there are some dogs that like, I'll, I'll put you in free mm -hmm. and like, if I can on the walk, yeah, give you as much free as I possibly can, and you get your time to explore, you do that, you'll find it's the same thing as when we take dogs hiking. In the beginning, yeah. you release them, and they're like, "Wow!" and they go crazy. And then after a while, yeah. they're like, "It's trees, bushes, and soil. Like I'm just gonna walk with you." Yeah, and like they're still in free. A lot of times, dogs will end up walking by your side, yeah. and it's like, "Bro, I can keep you in free," or I can say, "Let's go if you want." But if you're in it, it's like you're free to do as you as what yeah. you want, and you're choosing yeah. that. Awesome, mm -hmm. but. If I have a dog that when I say free, like never releases, then I only want to say free when I know they might want to. So like, sure. I'm going to say free because we're approaching this, this bush area that you might want to smell. Or I say free right when you see a squirrel. Mm -hmm. Or I say free right when you have to go, like, go to the bathroom. So you can condition it. Whatever comes after that is going to be the association. Sure. So you could totally condition free that way. Sure. Um, with enough. You got to be fair. Now, the cool thing about Michael Ellis is the man, by the way, you shouted him out or you mentioned him before. Um, one of just the, the coolest guys. I love Michael Ellis. Yeah. Um, 
But you mentioned that Michael Ellis said like done. The thing that's really important to kind of point out there is that was after a session. Yep. So it was a hell of a lot easier. And don't don't get me wrong, like dogs can go for a while. Like I understand that, but like you gave the dog this like stuff to do. So mm-hmm. saying done, it was like maybe the dog wanted to go a little bit more, but they got their fix. So it's easier. One, when you say done, like yeah. it's happening. Mm-hmm. Right. But then two, the dog also got their fix. So it's like, yeah, yeah, I guess it's not that bad. Sure. I, I think the problem is that people say done or enough prior to that fulfillment during the conditioning phases or stages. Yeah that now they have a dog, it just represents anxiety. Yeah. Because the dog's like, oh, I know what it means. And I didn't get this fixed. And now we are responsible for conditioning that. Mm-hmm. So you want to be smart, like when you're saying enough, I'm not going to randomly like say enough sure. when the dog sees a squirrel and expect to make it so. hundred uh, percent. condition it. Yeah. You know so, I mean? so that was their way of conditioning. So in the engagement session, just to be clear about that side of things, the you actually, you know, no different than when you're doing a training session, you don't want to end when the dog doesn't want anymore. The important thing with the engagement session was actually ending it while the dog was still in drive and wanted to go Mm. to teach that turn off then at that moment, Mm. right? So the thing I was getting at with it though is, so then we go to use that in practical application, right? So like you take that enough that you've conditioned in however you've done so, right? How do we then, or can we either reward or discipline for an emotional state of mind if there is an expectation of one in that moment um, to to then back it up, right? Or like you were saying, say it and make it happen. Yeah, well, with free, not so much because it's a it's an opportunistic window. So like free is like, you're free to do what you want. So you're never really wrong. Yeah, there's no expectation. Yeah. Except for if you're doing something like inappropriate, like you can't run into the street. Like sure. I have to put a limit on that. Sure. So free will always have limits based off of where you are and like you yes. got to help a dog to figure that out sure just how you communicate but um if we're looking at enough yeah and we're trying to teach that because that's what you were saying how do you it's how more do you, so that um, one. yeah can, can, can you word that again because i want to i want to sure. string it so so with enough if there is so yeah obviously free there's no expectation aside from you still can't get into my trash can right you still can't get on my counter etc cetera, etc cetera, yeah. right but with enough there kind of is an expectation with that, right? There's an expectation of taking the arousal from a 10 down to a five, right? So how do we, or can we then reinforce or discipline for not doing it? Yeah. So I I think it it, it really depends on the dog. Um, One, I'm going to try to ask for it when I'm teaching it sure. in, a, in a way where I know that I can, I can show the picture of what I want enough to represent. Yep. And really the answer is like, get enough by any means necessary, sure. but you got to understand what that means. So if I, if I can pop a dog on a leash yeah. and I think it's going to get them to settle by all means, I'll do that. But a lot of times really what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help a dog to like, woosah. so yeah, like to I want to touch, I want to help them to yeah. relax a little, but then they're going to pick up the ball. Yeah. So I can totally like, just like, nope, which means wrong, try again. Yeah. And if I say nope, and they're like, wrong, try again, but I need help, try again, what? I can like repeat it like enough. And if they drop that toy, yeah, great. Or I can, nope, like enough, a little bit of a pop. And they finally spit it out, like, you know, and they go for it again, like, sure. nope, enough. So they're going to keep trying. I'm not going to deprive them the opportunity of like trying, mm-hmm. but I'm going to end with like, this is what it is. Like, you can try. And I feel like sometimes people like look to interrupt the dog from like going after the ball or going after the ball. And yeah. it's like, I might catch you before you get it, 
But if you get it, it doesn't change what is happening. So I'll let you get the ball also. Yeah. Because enough is that. So, hey, no, enough. And if I have to like interrupt a little, and then after I interrupt, if I need to move you away from that ball, the ball's still there, but I help you like to settle, I will do whatever is necessary to help you see it. Yeah. So I think that's that's the biggest thing is um just being able to to influence a dog however is needed, but like don't start popping the dog and correcting the dog <laughs> and start turning enough into this sure. sucky feeling. Yeah, it has to be this this feeling of like relaxing and yeah. sighing and it's like that's another thing when i say ready i come alive yeah like ready i'm up when i say enough my ass better be like in sync and also like enough and like yeah. enough with my dog so it's like be what i want my dog to be uh be the example is something that's really important yeah no that makes that makes total sense it's and and that's again that's that's the thing that i always kind of struggle with because like i look at so, you know, obviously a no, my no marker, like I could tell my dogs no, right. And there's going to be that drop of energy from like 11 to five because it's conditioned to have a negative association to it. But that's not the goal of that window. We don't want the dog necessarily to be fearful or subdued in that moment. We just want them to relax. And, yeah. you know, that's where the psychology of this stuff is really interesting, you know? Oh, totally. Totally. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy because like dog training, you don't want to overcomplicate, <laughs> but you can, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But sometimes it's like, Oh man. And like, if you really care, you start thinking about all these things. You're like, well, what about with this? But yeah, what about this situation? So that's, it, I mean, you can't mess up too bad if you care about your dog. No, hundred percent. Like, and you're trying. These are the interesting conversations I love to have. Right. So this is one of the things that I feel like Tyler and I used to get along a lot with, cause he could totally, you absolutely know he could nerd the fuck out over this kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And you've yeah. always had a very, you know, just from again, the, the couple conversations we've had before and the stuff you've posted, like you've always had a very intuitive kind of wanting to understand and like push the envelope with these kinds of things. And I feel like these are just important conversations for us to have as trainers, but then not allow it to get too in the way of how we're coaching our clients because, you know, this co whole conversation we're having right now, like we have a lot of young trainers that listen to the podcast, which is, is who it's primarily for, obviously. But this conversation, I would just confuse the ever living fuck out of your average owner, I feel like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, man, you gotta, you have to present things when they're ready for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? A lot of owners are not ready for this because they haven't reached that level, which is kind of what I was saying before yeah. with some dogs. It's like, you want to present things when they're ready for it. It's the same thing with my daughter. Like she's, I've been using this, this example because it just holds true. Um, she started getting into soccer and in the beginning, like she wasn't sure how she felt about it. So that the primary goal was just make sure she's having fun. Mm -hmm. Right. And one of the things we're having fun is like literally just have fun don't be like, I can't be too strict on her because if I'm too strict, I'm like, no, 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 no. That's offsides. No, 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 no. You can't touch it with your hands. No, 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 no. You can't. Before you know it, you have a kid that goes, I don't want to play soccer. I'm yeah. not interested. Yeah. So make it fun, make it fun, make it fun. And once she actually wants to play it, then I can create more challenging rules that gets her to go, oh, no, no, don't do that. Okay. Well, how do we get back to this game? Or how yeah. do we get back to doing this? Like, you know what I mean? So it's like when you have someone that cares about the sport that they're playing, they will take constructive criticism much better. Mm -hmm. Like if you care, if you're, if I'm a basketball coach and you love basketball and you want to make it big and you're like, Hey coach, like, what do you think I need to work on? And I go, well, Dave, you, you know, you got lazy feet. Yeah. You're going to be like, Oh, okay. You're going to get in the gym. You're going to work on your lazy feet. But if you tell someone that they have lazy feet 
that doesn't really care about the sport, they're going to go home. They're going to cry to mom. He says they have lazy feet. And that's going to be the excuse for why, like, you're not good at basketball or whatever it is. (laughs) So like you have to be wise with when you challenge or when you give a dog or a kid or a human information or a client information. Cause if you do it too soon, it can actually shut them down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, hundred percent. Um, what do you feel like one of the, do you feel like you're pretty in tune with, you know, the current climate of like new dog trainers or, or a lot of the different things that are being kind of preached out there as far as stuff going on in the modern dog world? Um, I mean, you try to be yeah as much as possible, but, uh, it's, I, I just try to stay out of the politics of dog training. It, it bugs me so much or, yeah. or like the culty stuff in dog training. I sure. want to keep learning, but I yeah. want to stay away from, from the culty stuff. So people will always have their opinions. People will always yeah. this way or that way, or this way only, or that way only. And yeah. I'm on, I'm on my Bruce Lee vibes, man. I'm going to learn a little <laughs> bit of this, learn a little bit of that and, and keep yeah. it moving. And, uh, if you don't, if you're mad at me because I'm not doing it this way entirely or that way, then that sucks to be you. You know what I mean? But it sounds yeah. more like a you problem than a me problem. Yeah, I like that. Well, um, yeah. it, you know, obviously, I'm sure you have uh, you know young trainers reaching out to you a lot for guidance. You've been in this industry for a long time. You've made a great name for yourself. What do you feel like some common issues or problems do you feel like that newer trainers are making right now? If you had to give um, some helpful criticism on things that you've noticed. There's a couple of things, uh, caring what other people think it's hard because like you, you don't want to shut off something that can make you better. You don't want to shut that down, but you don't want to limit yourself to fitting into the right way Yeah. because the moment you do that is the moment that you, whatever makes you unique, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of it it shuts down or kills your creativity because now you're no longer you, you're just making content or you're just training or you're just doing something away so that you can get the approval of others. So it's like, you kind of almost need to not care so much about the approval of others. Mm -hmm. Uh, That would be my advice. As long as you're, you're, you genuinely care, keep learning and don't worry about that. That's one thing that I would say. Um, Some other advice that I would give when you do take the time to learn, whether it's taking an online course or a seminar or whatever, um, don't jump so quickly to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Nerd out with that, dabble with that, experiment with that a little bit. Because in my experience, you go to a seminar or you learn from someone, you watch something, whether you realize it or not, you try to be that person a little bit and you try to do it exactly that way. And it's not truly you. Yeah but it's okay. You figure it out. And then what happens is it doesn't work. So you go back to a little bit of the old way and then like you take something with you and now all of a sudden it's you again. So um, you got to experiment a little bit with what you learn before you move on to the next big thing yeah. or the, the next big or, or next thing, whatever that is. Otherwise what happens is you learn all these things and you never get to, t- never get to practice applying those new things. Le- knowing it in the head is not the same thing as like, practicing it and having that hands-on you know um approach same thing with martial arts i watch stuff on youtube all the time and i go no way i i one i know i can do that i can check it out and just because i watched it or just because i took one class doesn't mean i know it so you gotta you you gotta you gotta experiment you gotta have time you gotta practice you gotta mess up you gotta make mistakes and um and if you you're not failing you're not trying so don't don't be afraid to fail 
I, I guess that would be my advice. I think that last one is huge. Like I remember when I first started, there wasn't quite as much of the like overload of information as there is out there right now. And I used mm-hmm. to, man, the first couple of years that I started training, it was like I would find like one person and I'd get really into their stuff and I would try to emulate it from the standpoint of not trying to be like that person, but let me figure out why they're doing all of these things and make sure those techniques are things I have in my toolbox. And yeah, it was like a consistent process of every couple of months. It's like I would figure certain things out. I would go back to my original way and yeah, bring a few things with it and ultimately mold it, you know, kind of into your own flavor of training. And I think a lot of people are doing a good job with the first part of that, which is pulling in the information and trying to emulate it, but then they fall too much in the rabbit hole of just trying to be that person without actually understanding why that person yeah. is doing some of those things, you know? Yeah. So you run into a roadblock and it's like, cause you don't know the why behind it. You can't like reverse engineer it and figure out where the hole is. The other thing is, yeah, I, I agree with that. All of that. Uh, don't shy away from, from the why, because I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me from working with clients. I always want to have an answer. hundred yeah, percent, man. It's like, well, man, if I don't know that I need to figure that out. Yeah. Um, like you need to ask yourself, if you're doing something, you don't know the why. And that's something that a client might ask. Like, yep. go figure that shit out. You don't want to be that idiot. That's there. That's like, actually, I don't really yeah. know why we're doing that. <laughs> and like, it's okay yeah. to not know, but it's like, you should strive <laughs> to like figure that out. You know yeah. what I mean? So, um, so yeah, definitely, uh, know your why's because yeah when the client asks, like you want to be able to break it down and, and who knows, maybe you explain it, you articulate it in a way that's different. It doesn't have to be explained the same way, but just, just know the why. Yeah. It's, it's important, you know? Yeah. I used to do that a lot with uh, some of our competitors in the area. Cause we used to work with a decent amount of, you know, people, I think all of us do whatever it's no ego brag or whatever, but it's like, yeah, you know, you work with some people that have been to this trainer and this trainer and stuff like that. And as we started seeing consistent ones come in, I was like, well, I want to figure out why this person is training the way that they're training. And I kind of pieced it together by seeing the dogs that were coming in, by watching the things they were posting. And by understanding their program, I was able to more clearly articulate to that person that called me and said, hey, well, why is your program going to be different and help me? Obviously, without bashing the other person, you're able to say, well, this is why our program is different and we'll solve that hole that you're experiencing right now. But I needed to understand the different ideas that were out there in the dog training world first to have that conversation with them. Or yeah, else you're just yeah, like, 100%. well, may- maybe 100%. mine will work. Maybe mine is better. You know, you don't want to you don't want to be in that boat, obviously. Yeah. Hey, listen, um, total like ADD brain right now or kids brain. Where are you shooting out of? Like, what are you filming out of right now? From a camera or what are you talking? No, what what room are you like in? <laughs> uh, this is my attic of my house. It's just cool. Like it's cool lighting and everything. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got like this huge like attic room up here that is just like our office slash podcast studio. So yeah, it's pretty sweet. I love it. That's awesome. Oh, no, yeah. I was just, I was curious. I was like, I wonder where, where he is right now. But I, I <laughs> we like. We just got a little I neon like sign back there. So. That's what the glow is coming from. We got a little light on us. So it's actually nice that we're filming at night because usually we have like two windows right here that shine a little glare in and throw uh, throw all the lights off. So yeah. Message everything perfect. off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So la- last big kind of question slash topic. So like, you know, obviously you talked about the things that you're you're interested in right now from the standpoint of like the emotional aspect of the dog training and helping the dog feel better about certain things and stuff. Where do you find yourself really getting those bursts of 
kind of getting out of your rut of things. Because dog training, you know, regardless of what way you look at it, sometimes it can be so mundane with stuff, right? You're going through the same motions and everything. Like, where do you find yourself searching for more information then at that point? Do you feel like you kind of get in a rhythm and then you notice whatever, some sort of little ADD problem that's not really a problem, but it's like, hey, I'd like to improve on that. And you start seeking that knowledge or, or how does it kind of come to you with that? Especially after you've been um, doing it for a while now. Sometimes you just have to, you just have to go, like if something's coming up, whether it's a seminar, like I almost need to get away from what it is that I do. Yeah. Like I work with pet dogs. So it's like, you know what? I need to dabble more with just seeing what sport dog trainers are doing. I need to dabble more with seeing what like trick dog trainers or whatever you want to call them or agility trainers. I just need to see people doing stuff out of the context of like what I'm doing yeah. and then just pull parallels and similarities because that's kind of how my, my brain works. I'm very, um, I'm very caveman in like layman's terms. I was like, Oh, that's sort of just like this. That's sort of just <laughs> like that. So it's like finding similarities in the things that are different, mm -hmm. I, I think is, is refreshing for my brain. And that's, um, that's been my thing lately. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I was saying that I, I love being able to, disconnect from stuff. like we have the luxury also is like i feel like the business owners were like we're jam-packed with shit all the time and it's like there's never a break with it but we can mm -hmm. really step away from certain aspects sometimes to give ourselves like a fresh brain coming back into it you know if i go on a vacation or something like i find myself consistently a hundred percent of the time coming back with like fresh new ideas that i drew from literally wherever the fuck like usually not even something dog training related like i saw some yeah. person having an interaction in a certain way right or or some some owner walking their dog down the street in some new place and or something like that. I feel like I, yeah, I noticed it's a matter that. of like writing it down so you can remember it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So I come up with these awesome ideas and then I forget. I'm like, oh, I'll remember that. Yeah. And then I get home and I'm like, what? Like my I'm so upset that my brain can't think the way I thought. It's like, come on, like that was so good. Yeah. Dude. I used to but, use um, a long time ago, I used to use like voice notes, right? And that would help because like, even if I typed it out in like Evernote or something like that, I would go back and read it then like two weeks later and be like, what the fuck was I talking about right there? <laughs> you know, where like if I said it out loud into my phone and then was able to hear myself and like the inflection of my voice and something, it would trigger that memory much more easily. But I find myself in that same boat all the time where I'll say, oh, I'll write it down in 20 minutes or I'll do that voice note in 20 minutes and totally forget. That's good. Yeah, I, I need to I need to think about doing that, actually, because that happens to me, too. I'll read a note and it's like if I'm not in, in the mode or even sometimes video that I watch, like, I, like I'm going to make a good video out of this and I don't get to it right away. Yeah. And I come back to it later and it's just there's no motivation. I'm not inspired in any way. I'm like, <laughs> what was I planning on doing with this? Like, I, I don't want to yeah. do anything with this, you know. Do you have video um, people that do you have like a media team, quote unquote, or no? I did. I'm going to start this again. It's definitely like 21 minutes or something like it's, that. It's exactly what ours was. And I'll tell you, I mean, there may be a setting in it, but with ours, if the camera is set like that from everything I read, it's pretty much set like that. So well, not to I'm going to find, I'm gonna find a hack. There. Either that or I have to find a way to just splurge <laughs> yeah, yeah. for like a newer camera. And the GH5 for yeah. Lumix Panasonic is no longer like new. So I'm sure I can find like a cheaper one of those. And yeah, then yeah. just, yeah, so I can make that work. Um, what were we just talking about? Media team. Oh, media team. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had a guy uh, who was great at the time that he was like at, at the top of his game. He was like here. Yeah. He was able to film. He was able to edit. He was able to kind of 
learn the dog stuff and it really, really worked. But it just unfortunately, he had a lot of things going on. And uh, then he ended up moving away. So it was like, uh, if, if you're away, at least I can film it and you can edit it. But it ended up not being the same. So right now I'm doing everything on my own. Yeah, that's I mean, I, I do. I, I have considered a dog that I post yeah. good content on. And then I have a Instagram subscriber platform yeah. right now that I'm, I'm it's it's really cool because I'm I'm personalizing videos for people that yes. are subscribers. Hey, I want to see this. Can you talk about that? And it's it's a nice way to I guess get access to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In in ways that maybe you you're not able to otherwise. So it's like, hey, you can get access to me for like four dollars and ninety-nine cents a month. And now I can say, hey, listen, man, like if you want help with your dog, you can search through my Instagram, my YouTube or whatever for free. Yeah. You can pay $4.99 like a month, which is like super cheap. Yeah. You can do virtual sessions. You know, you can have yeah, like private in-person or board and train. So we have things that go up to like $10,000 all the way down to like free. So there's no excuse we can help you with your dog, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you struggle with or do you worry that because a lot of your content right now seems like it's coming out on like subscription based platforms, at least a lot of the like the juicy content, you know, the really like you're going to get some 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 real serious knowledge out of this. Do you worry that that has has or is going to cap off a lot of future growth from like an Internet standpoint? It does. It does. You got to find the balance and know how to promote like something for subscribers. I got to do a better job at that. Um, So it's like you're giving them a little bit of juice or you're unlocking something. You're yeah. doing, hey, guys, this is a video that I would like normally post on here, but here you go. So you're giving them like little little taste and you want you want the, the non-subscription platform to be something that is still helpful. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like we live in a, in a world where a, a day and age where like online content is like people's business, like virtual and stuff and what we're doing. It's like, yeah, that's that's the way of the game. So you don't want to give away everything for for free where it's, it's how you make your living. So it's really finding that balance. Um, I think I just need to do a better job of uh, of promoting and, and having little promos that have people going, oh, my God, that was so good. Like, I want to watch more of that. I, I want to watch the full version of that. And it's, it's available four dollars and ninety nine cents. Yeah. I'll, even if you cancel after one month, I will totally totally I want to I want to hear what his answer was or i want to see what that dog ended up doing because i just saw the before and i saw the after and 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 just kind of do it that way so you got to make it juicy and you got to show people that that it's worth it's worth doing it and it's hard sometimes you know yeah no that makes complete sense so we have we have a a small media team that that puts together content we do like a vlog series like basically every other day she'll film like our whole day of lessons and make a 45 50 minute video out of it and i find that we find ourselves in a rut sometimes of like we'll go a couple weeks where all the content we put out on like Instagram or TikTok or whatever it may be is like all talking stuff, you know? It's kind of like, hey, here's a 60-second clip of me explaining to a client how to reward their dog yeah. better or do this or do that, which is all good. But, you know, I look at, you know, the stuff that got all of us popular in the first place, right? And, and again, you more than me and, and stuff. But like a lot of it was, you know, you and Tyler and those guys, you were showing some of the, like, look how good this fucking training is. You know what I mean? And it's so hard. And, and we could blame our boy Gary V for it all we want. Cause he's the one who started the film your vlog and then make the micro content out of it, which is, which has been phenomenal. It's been a great success, but sometimes I feel like I'm getting away from the bread and butter of content, which is just, yo, look at these great 
dogs that we're actually training right now, you know? And I think uh, you got to mix it up. Yeah. I, I think that's really what it is. Um, uh, and there's, it's only trial and error and it, it's yeah. tweaking. And then the algorithm of something is changing. So you got to, yeah. you, you got to figure out how to make it work with algorithm and what people want to see yeah. that's going to generate interest that's going to allow them to listen to this. And then all of a sudden be interested in your subscriber platform. But I remember during COVID, I didn't really have like a lot of content. So all I was doing, I was doing zoom calls up the wazoo and I was yeah. like, you know what? I'm just going to film it. And then we're going to show it. And then it was like, in the beginning it was awesome. And then it was, it was, it gets redundant. Yeah. Wow. I was like, yeah. All right. Like all this guy's doing is talking. Like, do you even know how to train a dog? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, look at my old videos from before. It's yeah, like, yeah. All right, we got to get back to like showing some of this stuff. So then that way, when you are talking, people want to listen to it because they've seen what you've been able to do with the dog. Yeah. The, you know? So you got you to mix it up, man. Yeah. The the personal dog stuff too is another one that I feel like is, is uh, we are, we have heavily untapped, right? Like, you know, I used to do all of this like really flashy, precise training that I don't do with my client dogs really, right? with my personal dogs. And that was a lot of also people would see. And it's like, wow, look at this Malinois doing all this stuff or this pit bull yeah. doing freaking hurdles and shit, you know? And uh, now they're all just freaking retired and stay at home and do nothing all day. And it's like, <laughs> I'm like heavily missing that opportunity as well right now, I feel yeah. like. And that's another one I've been, we've been talking about, man, like I got to start doing something like once a week, like a really freaking cool training session I film with them or some shit like that. Time for a puppy, man. Well, we actually just got... <laughs> We, we got a puppy like a, about a year ago now. And, you know, I thought, so I got him, he was like a rescue. We kind of got suckered into him uh, by one of our clients. And, uh, you know, I thought he was going to be like this like 80 pound like labradoodle, right? Like he was going to be like our cool new, we, we joked he was going to be like the LL Bean dog, right? Just for whatever reason, like cool fucking mountain dog that does a bunch of cool tricks and stuff. And he's at like a year and a couple months at this point. He's like capped out at, I think he just <laughs> hit 31 pounds the other day. So he's just a fucking little guy. A little so. runt. <laughs> yeah. So like I could do some cool shit with him and everything, but he's also a mega weenie, man. This dog. And it's funny, you know, we get into back to some of the conversations we were having earlier about, you know, caring about emotional state of dog and this and that. And all of that is so freaking important. Right. It's also important. But sometimes we care so much about, you know, having these happy, crazy, energetic dogs and this and that without realizing just the genetics of the dog that you have, man. Like this dude, when we got him, was terrified of literally absolutely everything under the sun would just just shut down and shake and be fearful of everything. He's, he's great. He's like a normal dog now. Right. But like he's not going to be like you know, so pumped to work like some of my other dogs are all the time, Yeah, yeah. you know? Well, it's important to know the dog that you have in front of you, yeah. what they need and how to make them the best versions of themselves. That's a great way but to put it. know who themselves, yeah. know who themselves are, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah like they're quirks, man. You know, like like a, my other dog, my pity, like she, she'll get like fearful of miscellaneous random things, but not in like a problematic way or debilitating or anything, but like, you know, she'll get like a little sketched out by something and like, it's almost like funny, her response to it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we can condition away those things and we can help improve on those things. And we've done so, right? But it's like where she's at right now, it's not, it's not hurting her. It's not hurting anybody else. And, you know, we, we understand her limits with certain things. We, you know, I think that's mm. an important thing that a lot of owners need to realize. And we've tried to showcase through uh, me just talking to clients and talking about it on the podcast and stuff is that all our dogs are like, they all have their quirks. It's not like because we know how to counter condition something or, or you know care about emotional state of mind or all these types of things that we're making them all these perfect robots it's like we work with the dog we have and you you hit it right on the head i think that's a great way to end it with um 
you know, help, help them be the best version of themselves, you know? That's it. That's what it is. Yeah. And you just got to know who they actually are. And it's like, all right, this is who you are. Well, then let's, let's, let's get you to be a better version. That's it. You know what I mean? And don't yeah. try to compare you to this dog or that dog. It's just not, it's not fair. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't be fair to compare my son to my daughter or my daughter to my son. It's like, this is, this is who you are. So it's like, know who they are and uh, understand, understand that and embrace it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, well, listen, yeah. man, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and doing this late with us. You know, mm-hmm. hopefully you're yeah, enjoying man, your you over I, there. I, I'm glad. I'm glad we got to make this work. I, and again, I apologize, man. It was just oh, a little dude. bit hectic. I had, I had yeah. a lot going on. It's no, yeah. it's no sweat at all, man. Glad to glad to make it happen. We'll have to talk again. Um, so uh, you, you could go ahead and you know, I know you're like I said, putting a lot of your stuff out on Consider the Dog. I don't know if you have any new courses you want to promote or places you want people to go to or anything. Um, I have a good uh, rehabilitating aggression using a pool uh series that came out on consider the dog not too long ago it's not so much the pool that is what the video is about it's really the approach yeah and the stages of of when we were rewarding how we were, were rewarding and re- the the hurdles and how we overcame initial hurdles before moving into other things and i think that's a cool series i have some stuff that i need to work on right now i have a a, a possessive resource guarding uh, course that I want to put out on there. I have all the content. I just got to get to editing. And um, and then I have something else in the works that I want to put together, which is like a 2.0 to my communication course and yeah. just adds all the, the stuff that I'm doing now. But that's uh, that, that's going to be a little bit of a ways, a ways, a ways away. I'm just starting to film for it now. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. But other than that, it's man, it's Instagram subscribers and consider the dog. That's That's pretty much where I'm at right now. Hell yeah. All right, man. Well, we appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Take care of yourself, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon. I appreciate you guys. Thanks, man. Nice yeah. meeting you, brother. Yep. See you. Take it easy. <clears throat>